thank you, Patrick. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, so, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, that there are no people in this room, but, um, you know, we... There's a few, there's, oh, of course, there's a few people in this room. Yeah, that, if you can see that there's, there's a few, the worship band, I thank you for that. Um, um, so this is a little different, but as I'm reminded, you know, God's word goes out. And I'm just going to quote before I start from Isaiah 55. This is uh, God speaking about his word. Um, Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So at the end of the day, we get to worship here. We get to present God's word, and he's going he's gonna to do with it what he has ordained. So let's take a minute to pray for the message, and yeah. Lord God, we just, again, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It, it goes out, and it does not come back void, God. It accomplishes the purpose that you have, Lord. So to everyone who's here, to everyone who's watching, God, let them hear your word, that you may receive the glory and the honor. It's, it's through you. As, as Patrick said, you know, we want to see Jesus. We want to be here to see Jesus. It's not my word. It's your word that reaches the people, God. And we just thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, so two weeks ago, Patrick spoke on John 20. Uh, 19, 20 to 22, he got three verses. And then uh, Justin last week got John 12, 23 to 33, 10 verses. And now I've got John 12, 34 to 36, three verses. So in case you're wondering, yes, we drew straws and Justin lost. <laughs> so uh, I get to pick up um, where uh, Justin left off. He was talking about how Jesus is preparing for the cross. Um, he's been saying how his time had not yet come, but last week Justin said, you know, he's, uh, just, uh, Jesus started to say that his hour had come. And picking up where Justin left off, um, partially, um, in verse 32, he's talking about the cross. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, this is Jesus, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So, yeah, we're in John 12, if you can turn there. Um, so, picking up where Justin left off, let's read the first verse. The crowd, uh, John 12, 34. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Now, I have always been interested in how people respond to Jesus, um, partly because it's important that people respond to Jesus. Jesus demands a response. Um, we talk about how, you know, no response, you are responding. But once, you know, Jesus has presented that he's going to die, the people respond. And I want to take a few minutes to look at their response to him. And the first part is, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will reign 
will remain forever. Um, and what I titled this is, they had heard something. I mean, it's interesting. The crowd indicates that they've heard from the law. It suggests the crowd, or portion of the crowd, aren't going on what they have read, which is common. You know, people a lot of times didn't have the law, didn't have the scriptures. They didn't read it for themselves. But they went on what they had heard or what they had been told, probably through the, uh, the, the, uh, the Pharisees, the teachers. And what they picked up some knowledge about the law. They picked things up. And what I look at this, and I think of the people around us, it's important to remember that people have some biblical knowledge. We like to talk about how people in our country and more so are becoming biblically illiterate. And I think that's true. I think there's a lot less biblical knowledge now than people had you know, a generation ago. But I think it's important to remember that people do come and get some knowledge of God, of Jesus, of the Bible, of Christians, of religion. And it's important to understand their base of knowledge and where they're coming from. It helps us to relate to them. So let's look at what they, they know. They have heard that the Son of Man will live forever. And that's not necessarily wrong. What I would call it is incomplete. There is scripture that talks about how um, you know, the, uh, the Messiah will reign forever. One, I think what they are probably going off of is Daniel 7, 12 to 13, which is up on the uh, screen. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of ev peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that's Daniel. That is one. And another one is this from Isaiah 9. Uh, it's 6 and 7, but I'm going to... The 6, I think we've all heard. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. We quote that at Christmas for the birth of Jesus. But verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This was a common view of the Messiah, that he would come, establish his kingdom, and it would never end. It's the view of the conquering king. Part of the triumphant entry that we looked at a couple weeks ago, when Jesus came in riding on the donkey, is the idea of he was going to be the conquering king. And again, while that's not wrong, it's incomplete. It ignores the idea of the parts of the law that discuss the Messiah as suffering and dying for our sins. It ignores Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected, uh, 53, 3 and 4, uh, 3 through 5, excuse me. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. It, it ignores the idea that part of him establishing his kingdom is conquering sin and death. Jesus has gained the real victory through his death on the cross. Uh, verse 31 that Justin read last week foreshadows the defeat of the prince of this world, that ultimately that is going to be the victory. But still, it's important for people around us, we, we need to understand the view of God that, that may be incomplete, that they may have you know, heard of the Ten Commandments, heard of, you know, as rules that they have to follow, as religion as a set of rules. They've heard of Jesus as a good teacher or a, um, has good moral teachings that will help you live a good life. Again, it is incomplete. The point is, it's important to understand where people that we come in contact are coming from. Only by listening to them can we understand what their biblical foundation is and how to build on what they know. Fill in the gaps. So, let's look at the next part. Um, they ask, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? What this shows is that they were, they've listened to something, they've built, they've heard something, but they were also listening to Jesus. They heard him say that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And they understood that that meant he had to be killed, he had to die. And first direct application is people are listening to us. They are, we have to be conscious of this. Our words, our actions need to reflect Jesus. Remember, this crowd is saying what they've heard. They've heard it from the Pharisees, they've heard it from the law, and they also hear us and what we say. And then what they try to do is they try to apply what they've heard from us to what they already know. It's, um, it's what we all do. Um, I sometimes watch this show on National Geographic Channel called Brain Games, and it goes through all these tests and little tricks as far as how your brain works. And one of the things I, I always thought was interesting is when they talk about how your brain cheats. Your brain will take in information and try to put it into and apply it to something it already knows. It is how we all work. It's, your brain does not want to create a new box. It wants to apply what it has learned to what it already knows. It's, again, your brain's way of sort of cheating. So, when I think about the crowd, or at least some of them, I think that's what they're doing. They are applying this new idea that they've never heard, that the Son of Man must be lifted up. They know that means he's, supposed, he's gonna die. And they're trying to establish that and connect it to the base that they already have, that the Messiah will remain forever. And they're trying to reconcile those two ideas. And then, they ask a question. Who is this son of man? And I think it's really interesting that the phrase is, what is who is this son of man? They're trying to connect the son of man that they know with the son of man that Jesus is talking about. In teaching, yeah, I taught very briefly, but at the end of your lesson, you would say, does anybody have any questions? And no one would respond. 
And that's not because they didn't have questions. It's because that they didn't want to say that they had questions. Um, everyone always has questions. They just don't want to admit that. But here, the crowd asks a question. One commentator I read said they asked the right question. Now, full disclosure, some people in the crowd, probably some of the Pharisees, were simply asking the question to challenge Jesus. They are saying that you are not really the Son of Man, which is another way of saying Messiah, because the Son of Man is supposed to reign forever. You're saying you have to die. You can't be him if you're going to die. They're just they're discarding him as the Messiah because of what he's saying. But I think some in the crowd and some in the, of the people that we come in contact with they're saying, who is this son of man? What they're saying is, I don't understand. This, I just don't understand, but I want to. And that's, that's the encouraging, is that there are people who want to understand about our faith, about who this Jesus is, and how it's different from the Jesus that they have heard of. And it's important to remember that there was a time that we didn't understand. Um, I have been a Christian for almost 27 years, and sometimes it can be hard to remember what it was like. You know, I've been immersed in the gospel, immersed in worship and coming to church, and it can be hard to remember that there are people who don't have that background, don't have that, and are searching. And it's important for us to be able to reach, connect with them where they're at. Um, I recently had to teach my son, Reese, to drive. Um, and the hardest thing was remembering he knew nothing about how to drive. Literally, he knew nothing about driving. All of the things that I have learned as driving that I take absolutely for granted, that my body just does, he had none of that. So it's important to understand that people, you need to meet people where they're at. It's also important to remember our early walk with God, our questions, our stumbles, how we made the connections to God. And that can help minister to others. Our story is important as how we came to know God. And I want to use an example. As I was reading this, my thought went to Peter. And specifically, my thoughts went to Peter... Um, in Matthew 16. If you could take a minute to turn to Matthew 16. Um, if you could, uh, starting in verse 13. This is uh, Matthew 16, 13. Give, give you a second. See, now everyone would be rustling their Bibles, and I could tell when everyone had stopped doing that. So, and I'm just going to give you like 10 seconds to, to figure that out. Um, so we'll pick it up, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is very similar to the crowd. You know, he's, they're struggling with who do they say the Son of Man is, and Jesus is gauging that, and he's asking, okay, who do people say that I am? 
And Peter gives this great response. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. So he's, he firmly believes that Jesus, the son of man, is the Messiah. And he, he connects those two and he gets it. But if you can just go down a little bit to verse 21, we'll pick it up there because Peter's experience, Peter's story, all begins to mirror the crowd again. From, the time, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Again, he, he is responding very similar to the crowd. He hears this idea that Jesus is going to die. He believes he's the Messiah. I don't think there's any question about that. But he's still struggling with, again, the same issue that, okay, Jesus, you're saying that you have to die. That just doesn't gel. And Jesus says, you are, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are thinking of merely human concerns. I think what he's saying is you're looking at the triumphant king who's going to reign forever. You're missing it. And again, despite all that he's seen and heard, it, again, it doesn't gel with the law that probably Peter has heard. And when I talk about Peter's story, I think of that, and he's listening to this crowd, and he's, he's there. And I think he's saying something like, yep, been there. And, he, cause, and now, and that's why our testimony is important, Peter can uniquely relate to this crowd because he has been there, he's gone through that. He can talk to these people and say, yeah, I struggled with that too. And that's why our walk becomes into play. We have each taken a different walk to our faith. And, but our, and our story is powerful. It's uniquely ours. And then that is what people may be able to connect with. I'll give you an example. If you're drawn to the music, the worship, and that's how you get in the door, or that's you know, why you've been drawn to, to Jesus, I get that, because I loved the worship music before I understood the words, if I, before I understood Jesus. So that I can connect with you there. Other people, um, whatever your story is, it will connect to people, and it is powerful. So I want to encourage you to remember your story, understand your walk with God, because it can really connect to people on a, on a very emotional way, a very personal way. That can, that's a really good way of being able to lead people to Jesus. All right, so that's the crowd. So now let's look at Jesus' response. Jesus' response is found in John 12. Let's look at 35 and 36. Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may be children of light. When, you have finished speak, when, he, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So here, 
he uses this image of light and darkness. And I wonder if you know, Jesus is saying something to the effect of, okay, I can see you're getting tripped up on this Son of Man thing, which is understandable. That is not wildly found in, in the Old Testament. And, you know, I, I think we can get tripped up by things like that. Um, I think of, you know, there, are, there are biblical ideas that are hard to understand. The Trinity is a complicated thing, the three-in-one of, of, of God. Predestination, I'm, uh, I do not want to try to explain what that, how that works. Faith versus works. The, this is one that came up in youth group. Can God make a rock bigger than he can lift? There are questions that are very difficult, you know, and apologetics is full of them that you can debate for a long time. So I think that can sometimes distract from the gospel message, and I think Jesus here is trying to get back to the basics of light and darkness. Let's, get, let's go to that concept, because that concept is found throughout the Bible. It, I have, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Some of you will get that reference. <laughs> um, Genesis 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the wall, the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Isaiah 9, 2. Oops, I didn't change that. It's also in uh, Matthew 4, but uh, Isaiah 9-2 says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Um, again, that's in Isaiah 9-2. It's also in, referenced in Matthew 4, right before Jesus begins his ministry. And then John 8-12. Uh, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, let's, so yeah, the, the idea of God's light is throughout the Bible. And it's a simple concept. You know, we sing with the kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Kids understand the idea of light versus darkness. So let's, let's look at, you're going to have the light for just a little while longer. Oops, sorry, hold on. On a technical level, this is true. Jesus knows that his time is near. Um, again, Justin talked about that last week. He knows the cross is near at hand, the hour has come. This interaction with the crowd is probably Jesus' last public test, uh, ministry. His his last large teaching. I mean, he would speak to his disciples, but this was the last big public teaching. So he's telling the people that you're only going to have me for a little while longer. Listen up. On a personal level, we need to accept Jesus before it's too late. Ultimately, we need to make a decision about whether we believe in Jesus or not. If we believe that he is the Messiah, we need to respond. As we, as we mentioned, at some point, the time is going to run out. Uh, one commentator said this. This is a consistent theme in Scripture. One must take advantage of the opportunity to repent 
because there will come a time when it will not be possible to do so. We like to procrastinate. I like to procrastinate. Why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Um, at some point, there's not going to be a tomorrow. The darkness will overtake us. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Let's look at this word overtake. Um, I use the blue letter Bible. <laughs> Pastor Rich, you're not. <laughs> he's going to be happy about that. Um, and the word overtake in the biblical Greek is meant to as some sudden seizure. It's also, it's found, this same word is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. You do not belong to the night or the darkness. In here, the overtake is surprise you. Uh, Thessalonians it says that the darkness should not surprise you if you have the light. And he gives the example of a thief, though. A thief is not going to tell you when he's coming. He's going to surprise you. He's going to some sudden seizure. He's going to be coming suddenly. Jesus uses this as an example to warn us that we, don't have, we won't have advanced warning. We need to make a decision before the darkness comes because by that time it will be too late. Today can be the day. If you're listening to this and you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, make it today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. While you still have the light, while you still um, are listening to the message of Jesus, give your heart and your life over to him so that you don't have to worry about being overtaken by the darkness. Because it says, whoever walks in dark does not know where they are going. Again, once you're in the darkness, it's a pitch black darkness. It's midnight camping in the woods where you can't see your hand in front of your face. I have been there. It, you walk and you hope you don't hit a tree because you cannot see anything. Once we, again, once we're in the darkness, we are in the darkness. And that's the reality if we don't have the light. But... This is the encouragement. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. Believe. We need to believe in Jesus while we have the chance. And once we do, we become children of the light. At the festival um, last summer, I got to talk um, about adoption into the family of God. And uh, I spoke to the kids about 1 John 3.1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I focused on what means to be a child of. Um, this is where I was going to embarrass my kids, who were going to be here, but they're still watching, so I can still embarrass them a little bit. Um, I have two sons, and uh, they are mine. Uh, one looks very much like me, and probably know which one that is, Reese. <laughs> but they both, um, they both have my DNA. I think some, they have some of my mannerisms. I like to think that they have, um, I've instilled my values in them. But people know that they are my children. It's the same with God. 
Once we believe in God and believe in him, we are children of God, children of the light. And that's a part of who we are. The verse of 1 John ends with, and that is who we are. When at the um, festival, I tried to get them, the kids to chant that, that is who we are. Because it's true, it's, the light is inside of us. That's why the darkness can't sneak up on us any longer. It can't overwhelm us to the point where we can't see where we're going. Being children of the light is who we are. It's meant as an encouragement. Isaiah 60, 19 through 20 says, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. As children of that kind of light, we don't have to worry again about walking in the darkness because the light of Jesus is inside us and will shine through. It's not a question of whether the sun is up or the moon is shining. The light we have is an everlasting light. So now I'm going to steal from Patrick. Um, two weeks ago, he quoted from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. So I'm going to uh, quote there again. You are the light of the world. This is Talk, Jesus talking about the people. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before the others, before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Being children of the light, we've got the light, it keeps us out of the darkness but it also shines out to others. It should be evident. It should draw people to us to ask us questions about our faith, like the crowd, that stem from where they, what they understand, again, about God and religion, but they see our light, and they don't quite understand that, but they want to. They want to, it's something that they want. If you're in pitch black darkness and you see a light, you'll be drawn to it. It opens up an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus while we have the light. Um, Charles Ellicott, he's an English 19th century theologian, um, said this, The thought here is the one familiar in St. John, that the believer should become like unto him in whom he believed. Those who believe in the light should receive light, and become themselves centers whence light should radiate to others and illuminate their own paths. There's the two pieces. It's the receive the light and it's radiate to others. So this is where, you know, when I talked about walk while we have the light, this is where this applies to us who already have the light. Our days are numbered too. It, it's true. Eternally, we're set. However, physically, we are going to die. And we don't know how many days that we have left. And so we should take every opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. Use every day as an opportunity to continue our walk with God to, through prayer, through reading his word, through worship, 
while we don't have to worry about the darkness overtaking us, we should consider whether we are using each day to grow in our relationship with God so that the light can shine brighter and can we share when our opportunities to share Jesus with those around us while we can. As much as they don't know how many days they have left, we don't either. So we need to take every opportunity to radiate to others and illuminate their paths. Again, this, is the last, uh, this was the last public um, message of Jesus, and he's, it's a warning but also an encouragement. You, we don't have a lot of time left, we don't, or we don't know how much time we have left, so we need to make every moment count. So if you're, again, if you're listening to this, um, I'd encourage you, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, please do. And if you have, use this day to shine the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our Father, that we can be children of the light, God, that once, you've, once we have that inside of us, it's there, that we don't have to worry about the darkness overtaking us because you have instilled in us an everlasting light. God, I thank you that we have that. I thank you that we can radiate that to people around us, God. I pray you would encourage us to do that. For those who see our light, help us to connect with them, talk to them, encourage them, um, meet them where they're at, and that they would get that light inside of them, that they could be children of light, that it could shine, radiate, light their paths. And for those who are, again, are watching this and listening, that don't have that light inside us, just, it is a gift. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever believes in him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He is offering that to each and every one of us. Take that opportunity while we still have it, while his light is still here. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to meet, to share, to worship, and to hear from you, God. As Patrick said, we come here, we want to see Jesus. And God, we just, we feel, we know Jesus is here. God, is, his presence has been here. And we just thank him that he is an awesome God and a wonderful and loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen.